We're going to read a little portion of scripture in Philippians in a moment. But we're kind of catching Paul in the middle of a conversation, which means that we ourselves have to get caught up for just a second before we read the scripture. Philippians is a practical letter Paul wrote while imprisoned in Rome. It's dated about 30 years after Jesus' ascension to heaven. Now, Paul, of course, is hoping to get released. And while he waits, he writes some letters. This is a thank you note to show his appreciation to the Philippian church. And these are people he dearly loves because they've consistently supported his ministry and he wanted to encourage them in their faith. Now, unlike other letters, Paul's not correcting grievous errors about doctrine. He's not repudiating uh, false teachers, although he does kind of speak a little bit about legalistic ones. But this is a church that's experiencing some persecution, and Paul's goal is to encourage them by reminding them of certain truths that the church needs to hear in every generation. So listen to some of these overarching themes of Philippians today with open hearts. Christ is the goal of our lives. Jesus is our strength. I was sitting here today that we were singing, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. This isn't in my script. I'm off-roading right now. (laughs) And the Lord said to me, you know, sometimes when things get hard, joy is the last place you go to. That is correct, Lord. And in that angst and in that anxiety and sometimes like not being very nice, is that a strength for you? Preach it, Lord. I received that word. The joy of the Lord is our strength and I'm going to try harder to allow God's joy to be in me when I get stressed out. All right, back to normal. Jesus gives us joy in our suffering. In fact, joy is the main theme of Paul's letter. And he says, with fearless courage... With fearless courage, we can persevere in Christ. If we follow the example Christ gives us of humility and unity of spirit. This is a book about right thinking and about how our thinking affects our attitudes and then how our attitudes affect how we live out our faith. So right before the words that we read today, Paul is explaining how believers should respond to hard times in life. And he uses Jesus as an example. And in chapter 2, there's a beautiful hymn about the supremacy of Christ. And then Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he warns the church, watch out. Watch out for those leaders who want to add a bunch of rituals and a bunch of stuff that Jesus didn't give. And he says how people boast about all that they're doing for God. And then he goes kind of like, well, this is my paraphrase. You're boasting about that? Please. And then he goes on to say that if anyone has reason to boast, it's him. Because in his former life, he was a big deal. And he lists his credentials as a leader in the Jewish faith and the law. And he's right. He's impressive. And then he goes, yeah, but you know what? None of that matters anymore. None of it. Because when I met Jesus, everything changed. And everything got put into proper perspective. And this is where our scripture begins. These are personal words from Paul's heart. And they serve as an inspiration to us. 
Philippians 3, 1 through 7 through 16. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss in all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing I have laid hold of, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ. Let those of us then who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you in these next few moments before we have uh, communion to think about this passage with the twin ideas of freedom and focus. Because Paul is singularly focused on Christ, and it is this focus where our souls are freed from anything or anyone that would anger us here. In his life, Paul was privileged from birth and then gained his own impressive credentials. He ascended early to a position in his society where he reached a high level of importance. At a young age, he had authority and he led people. And he led people to uprisings against Christians. And his influence to persecute those who followed Jesus, whom he considered to be a heretic, was enthusiastically followed. But Paul is articulating a very vital truth here. That everything in his life that came before was a loss. All those things that he thought were so important to his identity and to his, his call and his passion in life. All of it, the family ties and the credentials and the elevated status and the influence and the respect that he had, none of that was important, as important as having Christ at the center of his life. And because of his situation, Paul had to give all of it up because, of course, it was a direct contradiction to following Jesus. He had to do a literal 180-degree turn. And this makes us think. We can be utterly convinced that we're right about our beliefs, about how we're living our life, and later realize, whoa, I was so wrong. You see, we have great capacity to think that we're correct, only to see God's truth in a new light. So we need to think about that for a second. How do we come to our beliefs? 
family, society, experience, media, our own research. Think about how Paul based his entire life on what he thought was right and good. He was a God-fearing Jewish leader until Jesus met him and set him on a righteous path. And we think we can be right in our own eyes or we can be righteous through Christ. I think that's really good. I think we should say that together. We can be right in our own eyes or we can be righteous through Christ. You see, we serve a God who speaks, who stops us in our tracks. We serve a God who frees us from the rules the world lives by and the anxiety that it produces. When Jesus met Paul on the road, Paul was free. He was free from the relentless ladder climbing, from the wrong road that he was on, from the harm it was doing, both his own soul and in the lives of those that he literally ruined. Paul was able to grab onto Jesus in a real way, not as a set of beliefs, but as a living savior who invited Paul to a new day. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about how your salvation isn't just for you? It's important, of course, for you and for your life, but that God has saved you and freed you from your selfishness, from your sin, where you are the center of everything and your will is supreme. But think about how when you change that, how that impacts eternity. There's a, so much of a grander picture than who you are and what you do in your family and the footprint that you leave, the good that you do in this world. You are saved so that together with Christ, you can bring God's kingdom, God's kingdom to earth. Don't get lulled into how the world thinks. Don't make your spiritual life so small. Jesus is not an add-on to a blessed life. There's nothing more important than knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings. And when the church gets that wrong, we reduce God to an idea of our making, an idol of our making. And this scripture rejects that. This scripture rejects the notion of Jesus as equal to all other ideals. This notion rejects that, you know, it's just good to go to church. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and share in his sufferings. Paul's saying, I don't care about anything else except knowing Jesus. The first thing Paul says when Jesus meets him on the road is, who are you? Who are you, Lord? That's a question we should ask ourselves every day. Who are you, Jesus, for me today? Who are you in this painful situation? Who are you in the work that I'm doing? Who are you in my wonderings and my doubts? What does it mean to know Christ's resurrection? It means to know that we have victory and hope over evil. It means that we are made new every single day. It means that we get to see miracles and transformations. It means that we break out of old patterns and places where there is no hope, where we can just smell the dying and the decay around us. It means believing that God makes us new as we choose to die to ourselves. It means that God gives us our focus. Sharing Christ's sufferings means that we understand that grief is what 
It means to follow Jesus. It's part of that. And in that, we are like him. One last idea here is about Paul saying how he hasn't fully obtained the goal of knowing Jesus or knowing the power of the resurrection or all that it quite means to suffer yet. And we think, well, yeah, of course not. We're not going to know those things fully until we see the Lord in the flesh. And yet Paul lives to hold on to the life that Jesus offered him when he was saved. So this reality is being explained in the past, in the present, and the future, all woven together. And Paul says he's not perfect, but he can see the goal that Christ is leading the church to. But verse 15, verse 15 got me because I've never really seen it before. Let those of you then who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. My friends, this is grace. This is grace. It was grace that God met Paul on the road and said, you're going the wrong way. You see, sometimes we don't want to hear truth, but it's grace that God gives it to us. But isn't this, oh, this part is so perfect for where all of us are as we wait for Jesus to return. Those of us who can say with Paul today, yes, everything in my life is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And if I lost everything, I would still believe in him. My faith isn't contingent on being happy or having everything. But this verse is also saying, if you doubt, it's okay. If you wonder where God is or how he's working things for good, don't worry. Paul says, if you think differently than he does about these things, God will reveal truth to you. You are not alone. Amen. This is an incredible assurance from such a declarative portion of Scripture Paul is saying, if you're not fully surrendered yet, it will come as you seek Jesus. But listen to what else he says. Don't lose ground. Don't lose ground on what you already do know, what you have received from God, what you can hold on to. Hold on to. And then you will be given what you need for what you are still wondering about, for the ways that you still don't have it all figured out, because none of us do. You see, when Jesus first met Paul, it must have been so surreal for him. He must have felt ashamed and confused and frightened. And then he met the believers. He he kept going to Damascus. He found the believers. He proclaimed Jesus there. And then he had to be rescued out of a window from the people who were angry that he left their team. And then he went away. He went away for three years before he began preaching and doing his ministry in earnest. And he says, in that three years, Jesus taught me and met me. And God reveals himself to us, his truth to us, his life to us. We have to take time and adapt to what that means to fully incorporate his life in us. 
So today we receive the, the blood. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> today we receive the body and the blood of our Lord. And in this, let us give thanks for the gift of knowing Christ, for the power of his resurrection, and the opportunity to share in his sufferings. Let us remember all of the ground that, that Christ has taken for us and with us and the ways that God has shown us mercy and truth. But let's also come to the table with humility, realizing we don't have it all figured out. And in that, let us seek the Lord fully, being open to God's wisdom. Let us come with a new commitment at this stage in our lives to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and to not be afraid to say that we are willing to share in the sufferings, the sufferings of Christ. And as we focus on Jesus, may we continue to find ultimate freedom in him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.